Welcome to the Pemberley Podcast, a podcast where we discuss Jane Austen adaptations, now covering Recipe for Persuasion by Sonali Dev. I'm Yolanda Rodriguez. And I'm Jillian Davis. We are proud partners of the Frolic Podcast Network, a community made up of your favorite voices in all of Romancelandia and beyond. Keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at the Pemberley, and you can email us at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the most exciting episode of the Pemberley podcast ever. (laughs) That's not going to get old. We're not going to stop saying it. We're not liars. It's the truth. Speaking of the truth, I would like to tell all of you about, and I feel like this is sort of like relevant crossover, but we're going to talk a little bit about what we're watching. What I'm watching is Legend of Korra. Uh, I don't think this is shocking to anyone because I have talked about my core quarantine obsession with Avatar The Last Airbender and my fruitless quest to track down the comic book that I want to track down. So I've been getting through Legend of Korra. I'm almost done with season three. I know a little bit about Avatar because I started watching it, but what's Legend of Korra? So Legend of Korra is basically a sequel series, and this is about Aang, Katara, the gang's like grandkids. If I'm being honest, I think Avatar will always be like my favorite. Like that's the flagship. That was the foundation for the world. And the morals. It also like dealt with politics on like a very macro scale. And so now it's like 60 years or something later. And it's cool. It's kind of like the world is kind of like a steampunk avatar 1920s kind of situation. The world is at peace. It's no longer at war, but it's like a different world. And people are living in these big like metropolis cities and there's technology, like they've got cars and they've got blimps. It also gets into politics on like a much more micro level, like season one of Legend of Korra is all about Korra's the avatar and and where Aang was sort of like very spiritual and very like hijinks ensue and innocent. Cora is very tough. She's very confident. She's very mm-hmm. sure of herself. She's a great bender. The only thing she kind of can't get a hold of is airbending and her spiritual side. Like in Avatar, there was sort of one big arc. Like the goal was to end the hundred year war. In Legend of Korra, there's like a different bad guy every season. And so it's very, very good. After you make your way through Avatar, I highly recommend Legend of Korra. I'll check it out. I have yet to really make my way through Avatar because I'm still on New Girl, so. I'm happy to talk about New Girl all day, every day, if you'd like to get into that. Yeah, so right now I just started season five, which I feel like it's a show that I've just been casually watching. And I'm sure I mentioned it like months ago too, of like that I was watching it, I'm still watching it. In case you don't know, New Girl is a fun sitcom where uh, Zoe Deschanel is uh, living with three other guys in a really nice apartment, large apartment in Los Angeles that I'm sure none of them can actually afford. But you know, it's TV. I'm not on TikTok right now, which has left me more time to watch New Girl. (laughs) But a big uh, thing on TikTok has been a lot of like nostalgia or like, I guess the younger generation finding the show and becoming obsessed with it and especially becoming obsessed with Nick Miller, who is played by Jake Johnson. There's this whole uh, Nick TikTok section of of the app where people are just really obsessed with him. And actually, he's been doing some rounds of press for this new Netflix animated show called Hoops. And so, of course, the people are happy for more Nick content. Or, you know, Jake Johnson, but, you know, Nick. Really Nick. I couldn't agree more. What I love about the Nick Miller character is he's, on the surface, he's so spectacularly average. And he's just sort of like, I'm 30. I'm a bartender. Like, I 
had this bright future and I threw it away and I'm obsessed with my ex-girlfriend, but he's somehow also like the perfect man. I get it. I'm here to tell you that I get it. (laughs) (laughs) I saw a comment that was like, the bar has both been set ridiculously high and so like insanely low because of him. (laughs) Because it's like he is like both dynamics of like great, but then also doesn't have it at all together in in other areas. So he kind of really swings the gamut with with that. (laughs) The whole show is great. I'm not looking forward to the point where I'm done with the show because I feel like I have just sort of casually watched it. Shows in general right now with Netflix shows, we tend to binge it in a weekend. Like with Umbrella Academy, we like just tore through that season in a a couple days. You know, those characters, we love it. We love that story, but those characters aren't really with us for as long as maybe, you know, when people were watching week to week for over seven years, it felt like more like your friends or you were watching these people who became part of your life. Thankfully, there's like 20 episodes a season, so I have time. So let's go into discussing chapters 21 and 22 of Recipe for Persuasion. Previously in chapters 19 and 20, everyone had met each other's families. Rico and Ashna are still secretly obsessed with each other. And we got a Rico flashback chapter to get some more insight into teenage Ashna and Rico's relationship and all the complications it even had back then. So complications are amplified even more now. Yep. Nothing's changed. Because I feel like the biggest hurdle for for them is why are you hiding me which is kind of like a are you ashamed of me do you not really love me I, I feel like it's tied up in a lot of those emotions and so beat for beat not a ton happens in this episode but it's basically like ashna we're like just coming off of family day where everyone has been pounding red wine <laughs> uh, it's a long day and Ashna's ready to go home and it's hard for her to get an uber or a lyft or whatever because there is a tech conference which is weird because all of Silicon Valley is just there all the time. But allegedly 30,000 people are at this. They're taking all the Ubers. She can't get home. She's hiding out in the green room, present tense, because she's like, ugh, but if I go home, Shobi's there. <laughs> and Rico comes in. It's almost like they're about to have a conversation, like finally, because like they've rarely been in a room together by themselves. But then Song comes in and she, you know, is a little bit in love with Rico. So she's always trying to find him and, and be around him. It's not lost on on Ashna that like she sees that Song is a little bit in love with Rico and maybe there's like a tad bit of jealousy there because you know it it would be very easy for Song and Rico to be together right because like she is so bubbly and open and emotionally available and it wouldn't be complicated with them but I think Rico is forever hung up on Ashna. I'm keeping my eye on Song. I'm not saying I d- like I like her. We like an emotionally available uh, person. (laughs) I mean, it even said in the last chapter when her little baby niece, like Rico was holding her, he was like, he loved receiving love from somebody so freely. And that is sort of the opposite of Ashna, who's sort of like turns into an ice queen around him because she's like, who are you? What do you want? And this is the second, I believe in this chapter, she gives a second cheek 
kiss to Rico. I'm just noting that just like she did that in the last chapter and it said like Song's mother totally noticed. And then as she and her sister and her mom walked away, <laughs> Z was like, they're totally planning your wedding. And I've like, as a woman, I've never felt more seen because obviously that's what they were doing. The fact that he noticed it though, I'm like, oh no, they notice it. <laughs> <laughs> no, they know the secret's out. What is happening? Song is definitely like shooting her shot with Rico, which is totally a lot. I mean, like, a couple chapters ago, Rico thought there was something going on between Ashna and DJ, and he was ready to fight the guy. He was looking at DJ, who was like taller and stronger than him, and he's like, I could take this guy. And I feel like Ashna's having the less violent version of those thoughts towards Song, of just like, what's her deal? Like, why is she even in here? Why is she even breathing the air kind of thing? And another thing that Ashna observes is that the Rico she knew was not a very touchy-feely person, just like him. Now he's like this touchy-feely charmer, and she's like, like, I don't see it. I don't get why he's like this anymore. I guess the lens that we see Ashna through Rico is like, he is just like, everything feels like it centers around her. And obviously the only reason he's here is because of her. He's so conscious of like every look they have and every movement really that she makes. But Ashna really is just as aware of him in that same way. She may not be as vocal about it or like, you know, as longing about it, but she is. She has this moment where she's like, his laughter had always filled her up like sunlight. Only now she knew the cold emptiness it left behind when his sunlight was gone. So like as much as like his words are like, I want to be your hair and all poetic and lovey and gushy. She also has like those feelings too. Like she's not just forgotten those things. Like it's still very much so is there. She's just pushed it down so much that for the first time since they've been together, she's almost letting those feelings come up again. You know, Ashna's trying to leave. She's like, well, I don't want to go home to Shobi, but I can't stay here much longer. Especially now that like Song and Rico, aka the lovebirds, are taking up space in the green room. So she runs into DJ and Trisha outside who are also just like disgustingly in love with each other and are obsessed with each other openly, you know, openly. I, I feel like Ashna could have the DJ Trisha experience with Rico if only they would have a freaking conversation. Another thing that's happening is Ashna's not telling Trisha about her deal with Shobi. No one knows that like Shobi is literally holding the deed to this place hostage to try and get Ashna to look at living a different kind of life. You know, I feel like if anything, the last few chapters have really showed us that Ashna has an incredible support system and she doesn't feel like she can go to any of them with like the truth. She's just like keeping it all locked inside. I think Rico is now, after having that honest conversation with Z of like him seeing it and being like, why aren't you confronting her? Like, why aren't you trying to figure out like why you're not talking about anything with her? He is trying to seek out those opportunities to talk to her. So one was at the beginning of this trying to talk to her and then Song burst in and now um, Ashna kind of gets away from everything and everyone and he follows her. It's tough because it has been difficult for them to be together alone. So rather than like the typical small talk of like, so how are you? What's, what have you been up to the past however many years? <laughs> it's directly to the big questions of like why are you here i thought you didn't like cooking basically or like when's the last time you even played soccer like when's the last time you were happy even saying like being here makes you miserable like he's coming in right with accusations really and like of course like she's gonna be defensive about it and feel like she's being attacked because in a way she is 
but also they've had so few opportunities to be on this honest with each other that he's just kind of like, I just got to go in there. Exactly. As much as we were going to sit here and complain about them not talking to each other about what they want and what their expectations are and how they feel, I totally understand the only things they really have to say to each other are really big conversations. You know, why did you leave me? Why did you choose this life over me? Why have you never spoken to me again? It's a lot of big, scary questions. And I can see how it's easy to shy away from talking about the big, scary things because they're already so hurt that they're not in each other's lives. And it's like, you want to hear why? Like, you want to hear why you chose like misery and your controlling family and a career that you don't even like over me, the love of your life? I'm sure it's one of those things where at this point, the conversation feels insurmountable. And it's just like so much easier not to say anything rather than say what the truth is. Ashna's about to leave when she's in the bathroom and she hears someone throwing up and it's Song, who I'm always very suspicious. I mean, she says it's because she drank too much red wine. However, comma, I'm always very suspicious in TV and books when young women are throwing up in bathrooms because I'm like, are we setting up a pregnancy here? Oh. Um, it could be the wine, <laughs> but I just want you all to know that I'm suspicious. I'm on song watch. I would hope that if she knew... She wouldn't be drinking. Also, but the I fact think that she, she is drinking would say that she wouldn't know. That's true. But I think she she probably did have a little bit too much to drink. She was hanging all over Rico and, and kissing him. And so maybe she felt a little more bold than usual. And that's why she uh, she's now dealing with the after effects of it and is uh, feeling sick. That's true. You're probably right. I just wanted to say my suspicions out loud. Sure. So anyway, so she and, and Rico are now taking care of her. And Ashton's like, you know, she, she basically missed her Uber. That's what it was. Is like It was like, I'm 20 minutes away. And like, they're taking care of her. She missed her Uber. She calls another one. It's not going to be there for a another 20 minutes and Rico gentleman that he is is like why don't you take George and so it sounds like he's got a driver in uh, the city and he's offering his driver to take her home and then Song can take him home if they haven't left yet Ashna's like A really annoyed that he's being so chivalrous even more annoyed that he is being chivalrous so he can leave with Song whenever they want and it's that Nick Jonas jealousy thing that's happening again I mean it's it's both ways right at first it was just Rico feeling jealous because he saw Ashna and DJ together but now she's feeling jealous because of seeing him and Song together so a lot of jealousy happening and like we're saying we know that you are guys are having a hard time having these conversations the feelings of jealousy and uncertainty are not going to go away until you talk to each other. I mean, a lot of the description in this chapter is about them like really like pining after each other and staring and like their bodies want each other. Like your brain is like, oh, it's Rico. I freaking hate him. I wish he would leave. But her body's like, nope, no, let's uh, like I just did a ragdoll movement. Like let's be near him. So that's where they end. And so we go into chapter 22, which is from Shobi's perspective. She's uh, in the apartment where Ashna lives. She's staying there. And surprise, surprise, we find out because she is video chatting Omar. So we find out two big things. One, Omar is in her life and that they have been together for a long time now since before Brahm had died. But it seems like they've been in a relationship for years. They even have a flat together in India. Major news. 
Sonali got me with this one because obviously we've only heard about Omar in the past tense. We've only ever heard about how crazy she was about him and how sad she was to have to marry Brom because she wanted to marry Omar and, you know, her father like totally set him up and it's horrible. And now we learn all these years later, they're still together and crazy in love. Like when I read the first few sentences and it mentioned Omar, I'm like, oh, this must be young Shobi. And it's like, maybe she's seeing him because he mentions Ashna. We're like, oh, maybe it's like a couple years into their marriage and she's unhappy and she runs into him. No, straight up. She has believing that Omar was like dead and he's alive and they're together. Ashna has no idea. Yeah, something I thought was like, the only reason that Shobi wouldn't be with Omar in present day is that he is dead, sadly. Like that's the only possibility I thought of. So maybe that's why, because like he has only been talked about in the past tense. I was like, there's no way he's alive, but they are completely in love and together. Something that he's actually encouraging Shobi to do is to be honest with Ashna and tell Ashna that like that they're together and to be open about that because maybe that'll help to bridge the gap between what's going on because I mean talk about parallels between all these different relationships but clearly Shobi has been holding back from Ashna too the fact that she has been in this secret relationship and that she's keeping you know compartmentalizing that from everyone else in her life who knows like how much of her family in India knows about it but maybe not many and then you see Ashna over here who hid this relationship from everyone in her life too they're not able to let those two things intersect of like being open with each other but Omar is very encouraging and like he's very understanding too I think it's interesting because like clearly Shobi and Ashna have these two men in their lives who are fine being a secret to the rest (laughs) of their families and that's like really what like you look at uh, Shobi and Omar that's really what their relationship was based off of right of secrecy and trying to maintain their privacy so they could be so happy together and then she got forced into a situation she didn't want to be in but thankfully they found their way back to each other and you see Ashna and Rico who felt like they had to hide so much of their relationship and were at peak happiness but it fell apart for different reasons too so you know I don't know how Ashna would react to this news because I think to Shobi she's like oh my goodness she would like finally understand and like be happy or like you know maybe it could tell her the full story but my feeling is that from Ashna's perspective she's like oh so you just really left for like a whole new life and whole new family really so I don't know how she would take major news like this. Especially because the first opening sentences of chapter 22 are, but Shobi had no idea where she would even start with telling her daughter all the many things she had hidden from her. How had she ended up here with a 30-year-old daughter who didn't know her mother was with someone, that she had been with someone since long before Brahm died? I think that's probably to Shobi. I imagine that's the scariest thing. Because here's what I think the truth is. What's on the horizon? for these two is they're finally going to have a conversation where they open up to each other and Ashna's going to be like, I've been with Rico. We're still like, I'm still crazy about him, but it's too late for us. And Shobi's going to be like, nah, 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 nah. Let me tell you what was happening when you were a kid and you didn't even understand. And I can definitely see a version in Shobi's imagination where Ashna is like, oh, so not only did you leave us for your career, but you like literally wanted to start this a family with this other guy for us. Like you left us for him because it's said like before Brom died so because it's like one thing to be with a guy after your husband has died and you're expected to move 
move on. It's another thing entirely to sort of attach him to the reason why Shobi kept running off to India. But I, I do think there's a part of her that would be very understanding about it because it's different for Ashna because she wasn't ever forced into a marriage with anyone. But that's why I think Shobi's so hell-bent on her exploring her happiness in other avenues because I think she sees Curry dreams as like the unhappy marriage that she was forced into, you know? She was just so forced into this and so deeply unhappy that she went completely in the other direction and developed this attitude of like, no one's going to take away my identity. I am myself. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to be independent. No one can tell me what to do. She's sad that Ashna doesn't want the same for herself. I honestly think this would bond them. Like I understand Shobi's concerns and her fears, but I really think that this would bring them closer together. Because then she'd have like a father in Omar, I think. I think like anything, um, the reason why Shobi came out to California is like clearly the conversations over the phone go nowhere. Being able to be in the same room as her will at least help to move some conversations forward, which we do see a bit of in this and later in this chapter. I think it's just, yeah, the way each person opens up is really going to help both of them understanding each other. But Omar is someone who is very sweet with with Shobi. I think as we saw from young Shobi, all the letters and the phone calls and all the different things, like even now, he just says things like, you are truth, you are my breath, you are the ocean. Like he thinks the world of her. And it's like, of course, like why she would make her way back to him because like he is someone who is everything that's the opposite of Brahm, who is so controlling and demanding and overpowering. And yet Omar is someone who probably has encouraged so much of Shobi's pursuits professionally and isn't someone who's going to stand in her way, but encourage her and walk alongside her. It's really like this equal partnership and relationship and balance that that she really needed. And in standing up to Brahm and becoming free of that, she was able to make her way back to Omar. I will tell you the paragraph that made me personally fall in love with Omar on page 262. After getting his law degree, Omar had ended up making his fortune writing for Indian TV and film, but his heart was that of a poet, incapable of the violence of unkindness, forever searching for the truth. How had he lived with her, a liar, for so long? I mean, like, this paragraph tells us, like, he's so successful. Like, he was smart enough to get a law degree. I think we're going to learn in a little bit that he had quite a few obstacles because of the whole Shobi Brahm marriage situation and her controlling father. But he overcame all of it. He became very successful. And they're still crazy in love with each other. And he's drinking his chai. And he's like, <laughs> I miss you. Here's your ocean. We're waiting for you at home. And I mean, I'm really interested to see what the relationship between him and Ashna would be like. Because obviously, Ashna resents everybody. But I think that he is a very patient, wonderful man. I mean, it even says like the way that like Shobi's like, oh, the way that he looks at me, like that's why I just keep coming back to this guy. That's why he's worth all of these obstacles that was put in my way for our whole lives. You know how Rico says to Ashna, like, I want to be your hair or I wish it was your hair. Omar says to Shobi, I miss breathing the scent of your hair. These Rajay women, they've got great hair, great hair, <laughs> great hair that like everyone notices. So in this in-between moment, they kind of end their call. She's waiting. She's like staying up late for Ashna to come back from filming and trying to have that conversation with her again, like the only time Shobi is able to have these conversations is very late at night. Um, but she's kind of thinking about the way that Brahm still has like this hold on Ashna and like the fact that even though 
Shobi has been able to reclaim her power, she still feels powerless against Brahm's control over Ashna. Even when he was alive and even now, it's like that power like that he has is still there. I thought it was interesting because she describes him as an exacting monster in the kitchen. As like someone who would like yell out orders and, you know, do the things that supposedly powerful chefs do. And because of that, he was seen as brilliant. But I thought of like comparing it to like Gordon Ramsay, who was like known for, you know, he he got to fame and power because like he was known for yelling at people and being like perceived as brilliant almost because of that of like being like, oh, he's so tough and maintains his kitchen in such like that like really high standard manner that of course he's brilliant. But like if a woman were to be acting in the same way, like there is 0% chance that she would be perceived as like brilliant and amazing. Like she would be perceived as, I don't know, just tyrannical. (laughs) Yeah. So the fact that, you know, she's very aware of like the privilege that Brahm had to be perceived in that way and anyone else would not be. Uh, I thought that was a good observation on, on Shobi's part. So then Ashna gets home, she tries to sneak by, but you know, Shobi like is like, hey, wait up. Um, She made like this small meal for her, which like they actually have like a nice bonding moment of like at least just sitting in kind of silence and enjoying this food that Shobi's made. But it very quickly dissolves into an argument as happens when they're in a room for more than two minutes together. Shobi has offered to help with the restaurant, Ashna rejects, and Shobi's like, okay, what's this really about? And that's kind of when they really get back into the same arguments that they've always had over the phone, but you know, now they just can't hang up and ignore each other. I think it's also kind of an unusual that Ashna's like, why? It's so late. Like, why are you waiting up for me? And I mean, it sucks because obviously Shobi wanted to be like, I have a boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. And he's uh, <laughs> been my boyfriend slash husband for many, 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 many years. And I never told you about him. And he's great. You'd love him. Maybe you'd hate him, but you'd love him eventually. And she just doesn't have the heart to do. You know, it's just, it sounds like it's hard. Everyone has so much to say. There's so much to share. It's very similar to the whole Ashna Rico thing. It's sort of like just the mother-daughter version of that for Ashna and Shobi, where like, there's so much that they want to share and need to share, but don't because they feel like they can't, like it's just too much to catch up on. It's like, what am I even sharing? Are we even the same people? Like, is how could this possibly improve our relationship? Like, the fact that we've been hiding so much. Yeah, like, there's no right time to have that conversation. And Shobi knows, like, she came all this way to have these conversations. So she's got to face it sooner rather than later. But it is, like, the same conversations of, like, your father is gone. There's nothing to prove. And... Ashna feeling like, well, I'm just your project. Like you've you've gotten all the big things that you wanted to achieve in your life. So now I'm finally on the list of like people you need to help. And we find out that, you know, when Ashna was little, Shobi actually tried to get her to come to India a lot, but Ashna didn't want to leave her dad. She didn't want to leave being in the restaurant, so she decided to stay there. And that was difficult because I mean for Shobi too, it was like okay, she always chose her father over her. And it maybe necessarily wasn't 
that, but, you know, Ashna just had that attachment to her father because Shobi left and she's in India. So why is she going to go with someone who left her? You know, like she's a kid. It's really tough to make those decisions. So she was going with what she felt was right at the time. And no one's at fault because like, how could Shobi expect Ashna to make such a big decision when she was little? And, and you know, at the same time, Ashna's like, is that why? Like you're blaming everything on like, because I chose to not come to India? No one's winning in any of these arguments. Everything was messed up. No, and I'm sure for Shobi, it was like very obvious. Like I asked you to come to India. I wanted you there. But then she acknowledges that like, if Ashna had chosen her, if she had chosen to come to India, India, she would have had to send her to boarding school and she would have had to say goodbye to her friends and like so much of like most of the family lives in the bay area so she'd be saying goodbye to all her cousins and she like she wouldn't be with shobi she just wouldn't be with brahm which shobi sees as just like the slam dunk answer i feel like in ashna's mind it wasn't really a choice because she always saw herself as like taking care of her father choosing family you know i so like for both they just have like different ideas of what the slam dunk looks like yeah so of course the argument doesn't end well ashna storms away she's very tired she needs to get to sleep shobi is kind of just talking out loud to herself almost like to brahm and she has this line of like i thought i had beaten you but you won first you put her inside me without your permission then you wedged a wall of lies between us that i would have to break her spirit to break down after all these years it, it, she just still feels like powerless against him i mean she basically needs to shatter ashna's perception of her father because she worships him and so she doesn't want to be like you know your father was a horrible person who forced me to marry him drank totally abused his power with me and with you and And that's the thing i mean to a certain degree ashna knows all of those things you know she knows most of the story because of arguments that shobi had with brahm because of seeing firsthand how her father was an alcoholic but it's like her judgment is still just so clouded and will always remember him fondly rather than the reality we're back to like the reconciling the two images between the two of them of like how shobi saw him as a monster and yet ashna saw him as like the the most amazing father yep i feel like our thesis statement for this episode is there's a lot that everybody needs to open up to about their past and their wants and desires tune in next week as we hopefully inch closer to these conversations and being open about how we're feeling see you next week Thank you.